Different companies have different company cultures. Some are more rigid, some are looser. Some are more authoritarian, and some give their employees more freedom. But what type of culture do you have? And is it the right kind of culture for your company? This is the Culture Clinic, where my co-founder Skay and I are relentlessly learning from HR experts on how to build a culture where people love to work. My name is Joe, I'm the co-founder here at Gusto, and today we're joined by Kwesi Thomas, an HR expert in rewards and recognition. Kwesi, I'm hoping you can point us in the right direction with this week's topic. What type of company culture is right for you? So, what kind of company culture do you think you need to thrive? And what kind of culture doesn't work for you? Me, personally, or as a company? <laughs> Let's start with you. Me? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, that's a great question. For me, um, I want, for me, I'm looking for a fast pace. I like open communication throughout the like the full breadth of the company. I do like a company that, that thrives on collaboration, people working well with each other. I like you know the decision making being able to be pushed out as far as possible. I like culture people are, are recognized for the work that they're doing. Like uh, and then constantly that, that happens often. I like a culture that doesn't tell me I have to be there at nine o'clock. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, I do. I, I like a culture that uh, for me uh, a big one is that. Um, we have the freedom to experiment and fail. That's something I learned later on in my career. But, you know, I, looking back, I think that was important to me a lot earlier than I recognized or knew what it was called. But I think the ability to, to try, experiment, have good ideas, of course, make sure the ideas are solved before you try them, but then be okay failing and then getting better at things. I think that was really important to, to me as a culture. And so what is it about an environment where you can try and fail that appeals to you? I think it allows people, uh, sorry, allows me, anyone to talk about me. And for me, it allows me to be confident in some of the decisions and some of the things I'm doing with the team and with the work. Um, knowing that, you know, with, with, once we thought through it, there wasn't this like impending axe or hammer behind that you just, you know, virtually that was there. You can really, you know, give it your best shot without worrying about, um, I don't want to say the repercussions because that makes it sound very, um, like laissez faire. Yeah, laissez faire. That's not what I like. Is try and see what happens. That's not remotely what I'm referring to, but it's more like we've really baked out something. We have a great idea. We think we can make this work. It might be slightly outside the box or something we haven't done before in our history, but let's go give it our best, plan it out, and do it our best. And then, you know, people are happy to learn and they get better at doing it again. So it kind of removes some of the fear of failure. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a more comfortable environment. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And can you speak to a culture that doesn't work for? you i don't like politics i i don't I, I i don't like area working where it's not open communication i'd like to understand what we're what we're trying to achieve and what and how we're contributing to the work of others uh what else does work for me it's taking a lot to make decisions for me i like things to be able to be thought out properly and then actions happening mm -hmm. uh i like where it's people are held accountable for the work that they're supposed to do so everybody's contributing fairly to the work that they're that others are depending on and held accountable to do so. That's right. I'll tell you what I what I don't like to do. I don't like the ones that don't do that. <laughs> so what it, like what does accountability mean to you? Like how in in practice, what how you know how does that look? That look th that is the ability for us to actually have the conversation about things that are expected or missed, or things that were miscommunicated and missed, uh, and then have the conversation not to sort of you know berate or to you know uh, discipline people. 
but so that we can correct it and and get better as we go forward. And I think that ability to call people out or to have an honest conversation about something that's not going well, that's accountability to me, as opposed to, you know, being like, I'm holding you accountable, you did it wrong. No, it's like, hey, well, why did we miss this? We were supposed to admit it. What happened? What do we do this? How do we do this better? You know, something I could have helped you get through, you know, whatever that is, but it is having those open, hard conversations on a constant basis. Yeah. Kind of realign on expectations. Yeah, big time. Okay, so a lot of people have negative perceptions about certain kinds of company cultures, like more competitive or hierarchical cultures. But are there ever situations where, you know, these kind of cultures are, are necessary or even a good thing? Well, I'd say anybody who's working at a nuclear plant, I don't want them to have <laughs> anyone's working in law enforcement, anybody's working in any sort of uh, system. You know, as you can go into Amazon, I don't want it to be too loosey goosey at Amazon. I pay for Prime for a reason. I want my package to show up on time, right now. So there are reasons that the company might be more hierarchical or, or less, you know, um, loose with how people work, right? And so there are definitely reasons where where companies' cultures have to match the work that they're doing, right? Um, there are people who are working right now at Pearson Airport or at any other airport around the world, and I, I want that to be a fairly tightly run ship, right? And so there are definitely cultures and reasons to do that. There are, um, but there are also other ones. There are, I know, creative design firms where it's completely different. Some people they do their best McDonald's ad work at night, and that's got to be you know fostered. So there, there is definitely room for different cultures in different environments. Okay, so when people's lives are at play, or uh, or your package is in jeopardy, then, yeah. you know, we need hierarchical, uh, <laughs> structures and, uh, you know, approaches, hierarchical approach to, uh, to the workplace. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there are, there's safety. There's lots of reasons. Like I'm sure the, the Walmart warehouse is probably pretty structured, right? That's distributing. Like there, there, there are probably lots of reasons why there are structured areas and why there are less structured areas where you're in. You know, for those in startups and high tech where it's a very different environment. And if you were to take that high tech culture and drop it off at, you know, McDonald's in the front line, it wouldn't work. Right. And so there are there are reasons for different cultures. Yes. OK, so flipping that around, some kind of cultures are more attractive to today's employees, like startup style cultures where you hear it can be more casual and I don't know, ping pong tables, people in the office and kegs of beer on Fridays. Uh, are there situations where these types of cultures don't work? Yeah, there are There are definitely people um, who need more structure and who are looking for more structure. Um, and that's how they work. I'll give you an example. My um, my dad, when I when COVID started, he, he was working at, at a bank um, in IT for years. And when they um, went to what COVID happened, everyone started working from home. And he struggled greatly in that whole transition of being at home. And the culture was very different, not having the other people around, et cetera. In fact, the office I'm in right now, I, I, I rented it and he used it three or four days a week because he wanted to be able to get up, pack his lunch and go to work. And he wanted that culture of being, I went to work, I was focused, I had my meetings, I packed my bag and I went back, right? And so it all, it, it really depends what people are looking for. Yeah, that's fair. I could see, you know, how work, someone who thrives in the office and having to shift to home could, could be challenging, right? Like, uh, do I make a chili or do I, you know, make, make some sales calls? It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> The lines could get a little bit blurred. Could get even. And, you know, I I don't think I should probably say it. Shelly DeCosta, who does these podcasts as well, Shelly thrives on the conversations and the interactions with people in person. Uh, it's one of her superpowers, right, if, in terms of how she does her job. 
And so try to, try, I know during that transition of doing that in a different culture where it's Zoom or where you're not in person or, you know, that transition even consulting because she's helping consult these days. It's a very different world than the culture of being in present and grabbing, going to Tim's and coming back up and grabbing that person in the hallway. And it's just very different. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so how do you know if your company culture is heading in the wrong direction? Wrong direction. It doesn't sound like a very loose, uh, a very broad answer, but if the if the metrics that matter to the company are starting to slip, and I don't mean the sales metrics, I mean the the values, um, culture, et cetera, metrics are going the wrong way, right? Um, if you're at a um, call center and the culture that you're building is starting to go where people are now coming in, you know, more and more late for their shift, or their the the call times are going the wrong way, or you know. There's, there are other inefficient metrics that are showing up because the culture may be wrong. The, maybe the culture is you do have to be at your desk ready to go at this time and be and, and knock out those calls and maintain that five-minute close rate and whatever else, right? The culture can be counter to that if that's what the job is. Yeah. So it could be things like engagement scores, retention, absenteeism, if there's specific KPIs to your company or industry. Um, those could all be represented in a, a company culture that's sort of slipping. Correct. Yeah. Usually, there's some, usually there's there's things that are show up, um, in the more activity based metrics that people care about in your company. Um, the larger metrics like you know NPS score, sorry ENPS scores and things like that, they are important. But they're a lot of times that's too late. You want to pay attention on a more frequent basis. How often? Quarterly, at worst, right? You can't see culture shifting on a dime unless something has, you know, um, act of God type thing has happened. You've done major layoffs or you've done major hiring or, you know, a founder has decided to move on from the company. There are things like that you want to pay attention around those sort of, you know, milestone activities. But in general, if you pay attention quarterly and you're really re- focused on it once a quarter in terms of measuring it and reporting on it, that's probably healthy enough. And then the rest, you, you know, you, you still have to pay attention to how about even like engagement score uh, response rates, right? You hear about like uh, survey fatigue. Um, you know, if someone's getting a survey quarterly, that shouldn't be so bad, right? But like if you're if you're seeing like not a lot of people respond to surveys, is that an indicator in your mind? Uh, yeah. If you if you can, if the participation is low, and usually the participation, uh, all of the survey companies have stats on what they think is healthy or not. Uh, for me, if participation is high, it's usually um, because you've got a good culture going, people want to participate, and that's part of the culture is participating in feedback. Um, if it's you know in the middle, it, maybe it's not part of your culture that they that feedback loop's not part of the culture, and it's just business as usual. If it's low, usually something's wrong. Yeah, and so do you, do you see participation uh, participation rates vary by industry? So, for example, if I'm in finance, I don't know, I'm just grabbing finance. It's, assuming or like a, some uh, industry where everyone's at the desk, everyone's at the computer all day versus let's call it like a frontline industry uh, retail environment where it's a little bit harder to communicate with, with your associates. Um, I, it's fair to assume that participation rates might be, might be different. Yeah. There's, there's likely some logistic issues that may affect the participation, like how, how easy it's to just send an email to everyone who's at a desk and they all submit it and then off you go versus, you know, McDonald's trying to get everyone on the floor to answer and participate. But I do think that the the the, the more important factor is is, it, is is that feedback, is that is that participation in the culture part of the culture? And if it is, uh, for me, uh, across industries, you should be able to get a pretty reasonably high participation rate. 
if that is part of what everyone wants to do. They want to give the feedback. They know it's important. They know they're going to hear back from the leaders what they heard and what they're going to do about it. They're going to see actions. They actually think it's valuable to participate. When we think about company culture heading in the right direction versus the wrong direction, uh, and we're surveying people, how important is that metric around people feeling appreciated? Like, one, do you ask, like, hey, do you feel appreciated for your work? And two, if you are asking that question, you know, how correlated is that to, you know, the direction of the company culture? So what I think you should ask, um, uh, especially if it's part of part of the strategy for how you're building your culture, if appreciation recognition is part of that strategy, you should definitely ask the question. How I think you have to pay attention to the score in general, but also where the score is, how it's progressing. That score is going the wrong way, so it was a, it was X number, now it's Y number, and it's going down. Then that's a bad, that's a bad thing. The score is going up, great. Um, the actual number to me, it's less important. I want to, of course, you don't want to completely, you know, crap score. But if the number to me is, it's more important the progress we're making towards the number. Because oftentimes you can't magically say, hey, we were, we got a better number now. It's usually like, hey, we've made some program changes. We've made some communication changes. We've added a recognition program. We've refunded, we've redesigned it and made it more effective. And you want to see all those things building to the right direction more than you actually need the score to be what, it, you know, a certain score. Okay. So outside of showing leaders those scores, how can you convince leaders that cultural change is needed? Outside of showing them the scores, usually the, usually the leaders will know before the HR team, honestly. They'll know, they'll know how their teams are reacting. They'll know that they need more tools to drive the behaviors, drive the outcomes. They'll know that their team has been asked to um, you know, do double work for the past three months to get some project done. They'll know that they need to you know, recognize and, invigor- and, and, and incentivize their teams um, and reward them for what's happening. So I think often that is known by the leaders. The the how is usually where the hard part is, right? And so that's usually where the debate you're having. Is it a recognition program? Is it a time off program? Is it a, you know, look at all their salaries and change everyone's, give everyone a raise by X percent. And knowing how to effectively drive that culture or or change, reward, that whatever's happening in the company for, for me, it's less about convincing the leaders it needs to happen. It's sort of really convincing them how it should happen. And so, in your opinion, does that fall on the people team, the HR team, to sort of present up to leadership the how around the shift? Yes, I, I think I think that's where that's. I mean, at our, at our core, I mean, a lot of HR leaders. When I say this, we're we're supposed to give advice and create programs to help with help leaders, but we're not the leaders, right? And so, we should be seeing that problem or understanding that problem from our leaders or their need. And then offer business solutions to 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 make to to recognize or appreciate the team that they need, right? And so, uh, I think it's very much in the HR's uh, responsibility to understand the need and offer solutions, and then present up what the right solution is. More and more, are you seeing uh, people leaders with a bigger voice at the leadership ta- table? Like, have you seen that shift over time? Yeah, I mean, I. I if I rewind back in my career, like the titles like CHRO didn't exist, um, or if they did, maybe there were very few in between, right? And usually, HR reported up into someone else who was operations or finance or some other C level. And so, like, the fact that we've got HR at the table with the same level of voice now, which we didn't have, you know, years ago, I think that's a, a big shift. I do think the more um, 
the more founders uh, who become CEOs who understand that people aspect who they would work with. I think that's um, that's shifted quite a bit in terms of how much value has been placed on the people aspects of companies. I think HR is also you know making a great shift. I think more work has to be done, and and, and not being referees or gatekeepers for everything, and actually just being you know, well we we help guide, we help create programs, we'll protect you from doing bad things, so we'll make sure that you cannot you know go off into the gutters, but otherwise go ahead bowl down the lane right, and so. Uh, I think we've, that shift has been happening quite a bit over the last 10, 15 years uh, in HR. And I think it's been beautiful to see us become valued partners instead of the gatekeeper saying, no, fill out this form. No, <laughs> you cannot give that 6% raise. You have to give it at a 4% raise. We're seeing less of that and more of the, I'm going to guide you and help you to the right thing. Yeah. I mean, even the terminology change, right? You see so many more people and culture teams versus human resource teams, right? Like it just communicates one thing versus another, which is uh, quite refreshing. Yeah. I remember the first time I was, it was, when I had the title manager, sorry, global rewards, I was a global rewards, but it was manager global recognition. And they're like, frig is that? Like, <laughs> what do you get to do all day? And so going into people were like, so you just make people feel recognized all day. I'm like, yes, that is the job. <laughs> Very interesting. I love doing it, but even then, that title didn't exist. And so um, I remember what, you know, even doing comp conversations with my leaders, figure out how much to pay or not pay me. And they're like, well, there's no comparables. And I'm like, it's okay. But now there are a lot of culture jobs, a lot of recognition jobs, a lot of uh, people jobs. And I'm, you know, luck- loving that trade change. So you set the bar basically for uh, compensa- compensation uh, for that title. I wish. If I didn't, set, I didn't set it high enough. So I'm sorry, everyone. I should have said high. No, I'm kidding. I fucking <laughs> didn't set it. But, it was, but I was definitely, I mean, the opportunity to do that um, sort of, you know, at Blackberry was was new, right? So we'll have to run an episode uh, with the focus of how to negotiate compensation when there's no title, uh, <laughs> no existing title. When there's no benchmark. <laughs> Any thoughts around, uh, like, have you ever firsthand seen a company culture go in the wrong direction? And what did that, what did that feel like? For the years when Blackberry was shrinking, like when we were letting go people. There were, there were definitely, I think, there were pockets of people who really loved working with each other. And I think anybody who was there around those times, they loved the people and the culture they were working with. And so for me, there was a shift at some point where that didn't, that started to go away, where there was less of like, I want to work with the, you know, I want to be here as part of this culture. And that shift was very hard to be around. Some people may not agree with that. I'm not pointing fingers as to why that is or my own perspective as to that happening. But I definitely, for me, felt a shift from it being, even though we, were, you know, we went from 20,000 to 10,000, there was still this, like, we can do this. I love coming to work today. I still want to be around the people we're working with. I still want to participate in the culture that's happening. And somewhere south of 5,000, that started to change, where it was more like, uh, you know, everything felt negative. Everything felt like another takeaway, like another jab, like another problem. I'm not saying there aren't great business reasons for why they had why things have to change, and they're you know when you're losing billions of dollars, I'm sure there are good reasons to do that. But culturally, that culture started to fall off. Could it have been done differently? Yeah, I think so. I think there was a and there was a definite change in in leadership, like a clear cut change in leadership. And I think the communication of that change could have been done differently. Mm. And sorry, and sorry, the, not the communication of the change, the communication after the change, how, how people worked. I think there was a, a definite shift. And 
try not to get myself in trouble here, but <laughs> there was definitely a shift in terms of um, how people felt valued or or not valued after that shift. And do you think that had people felt more valued, it would have created meaningful change at the company or like things could have played differently or just like... I mean, I, I, the actual product and whether people actually want to still buy it, all, like I'm just going to leave that part alone because that's... But in terms of the, the people wanting to work and how they contributed and, you know, people giving their best and giving their 110, not their just 100, I think that would have been different had the culture been different. Became very competitive, very um, who presents to who, right? And so that was difficult. So a lot of politics and... Uh... Yeah. 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 I, I mean, like I said, not, not faulting anyone. I'm just, it was, that, that was a difficult change. Outro. <laughs> Kyle, use that as you wish. <laughs> if you want to build your ideal culture, check out Culture is the Ultimate Advantage, our free guide to creating a culture where your people feel seen, heard, and valued. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to follow us so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to recognize someone for a job well done today. Mucho gusto.